everybody. We are here with the magical writer, Mr. Greg Rucka. He has quite the library, but we can talk about some of his more recent works of note, The Old Guard, as well as Lazarus, Wonder Woman, and actually my favorite when I was growing up was your run on Wolverine. Oh, but, wow. Right? It was, it was you. It was you. You're the one who bought those issues. I found that's a you. Deep cut, man. That is a deep cut right there. Yeah, that's a long time ago. <laughs> so, congratulations. You you managed to reference something that almost nobody does and make me feel old. Nice. Because <laughs> Sean was seven at the time. Yeah, I think I was. I was in grade oh, school. God. Oh. Stop. Wisdom, I found. So, but let's start off on the most basic of subjects. What's everyone drinking tonight? Kevin, we'll start with you. Start with me. Well, you know, I've been since I just drink mostly, you know, whiskey. I, I go through the cabinet to try to find something that might somehow connect to the to our guest. And um, I was looking for something with like old in the in the you know on the label, but I, I came across this uh, bottle of uh, Blantons that I had. Uh, oh, <laughs> damn! Um, <laughs> Man, like envy, envy, <laughs> yeah. So uh, much envy. It's not that old. It's it's the 2015 bottle that I, I bought on the shelf. I don't buy my stuff from those secondhand guys because it's crazy. So it's not really old, but it is old, and I do guard it with my life. So you know, <laughs> yeah, it, it kind of fit for tonight. Dun, dun, dun. You can't you can't find Blantons in Oregon anymore. It's like it's find vanished. It. Yeah, it, it's it, vanished. The I don't know what happened that caused everybody to start collecting bottles of whiskey, but it's uh, it's made my uh, John Wick. Is that it? Yeah. Yeah. What? Yeah, John. Uh, yeah. On the Justified, they had in one of the early episodes they talked about Pappy Van Winkle, and there was like, mm-hmm. and I think that was a real you know start of it too. But John yeah. Wick, that, that was a uh, I hadn't yep. thought about that. Mr. Brian Stelfreeze, our, our teetotaler, what are you drinking tonight? Uh, I'm going uh, extra light. Um, I figure since it was uh, Greg, I wanted something as close to beer as I ever drink, which is uh, <laughs> which is you know San Pellegrino sparkling water. <laughs> Very nice. <laughs> but uh, but it gives me the mouth feel of beer without you know the beer the other stuff. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> without the flavor, the <laughs> yeah, without the flavor, taste, alcohol, any uh, of those yeah. things. <laughs> yeah, any, any of the reasons to drink beer. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And Mr. Uh, what are you having, Greg? Yeah. Uh, I am. Um, okay, so there's a little backstory here. I, I have two kids. My daughter's 17. My son's 20. Uh, Elliot and I are going to have to fly out to New York on Wednesday. Dashiell has been taking an online course pretty much all day for the last three weeks. So we are not actually getting a lot of time together. So we had uh, made a decision to have a pizza uh, night and we are watching Steven Universe. Oh, so, nice. So we're eating pizza and we're watching Steven Universe. And uh, I had had two, uh, two, two beers um, with, with my pizza. And then I looked at the clock and went, Oh my God, I've got a podcast in five minutes and went <laughs> stampeding downstairs to my office. And it is like 98 degrees here today. So um, I, I am having uh, a very, it's about a 
what is it? It's a two liter bottle of Teases Tea uh, Organic Green Tea. That's that's what I'm. Ah, nice. What I'm doing right now. I've I've been there. I I really actually really really like their teas. I am yeah. Like they do a white jasmine that I am. Oh, I, yeah. I just love that one. So yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Ice green tea uh, is is my summertime survival tech tactic. So. So the question is, what was the beer that you were drinking before? Um, it was uh, Ninkasi's Dawn of the Red. Wow. I'm not familiar, but it sounds lovely. <laughs> it's very, it's very Oregon. It sounds very brutal. So. It sounds like a character who could be an old guard. Oh yeah, it's a, it's 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 a it's a red. Uh, what is it? It's a red India ale, like an IPA, I think. Yeah. But you know colored red i guess sure (laughs) (laughs) and you what are you drinking mr edgar yeah so i i live across the street from a new seasons which if you live in oregon is kind of like a whole foods even though slightly more pretentious I am wow. drinking a water. <laughs> and it, it's slight, slightly more pretentious, but actually infinitely less evil. Oh, okay. Decent point. No, no. I mean, like, yeah. substantially less evil. Like, you are not actually giving a billionaire money who cannot be bothered to provide PPE for his staff. I had to go to our new seasons today. Right. So once wow. again, I was reminded of how well they take care of their employees. They so, do. Right. It's not owned by Amazon. It's local-esque. Yeah, it is It is a local chain. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm drinking Waterloo Sparkling Water Grape, but, <clears throat> but I do have some Incline Cider on the wing. All right. Ah. Which flavor? <laughs> uh, hopped. Okay. It's Hop Cider. But- my my better half Jennifer Van Meter uh, is quite fond of the Marionberry. I have some of that too. It's excellent. Not too sweet. But and and incidentally, my better half will also kill me if I don't specifically say she says hello, Brian. Ah, <laughs> all right. <laughs> she will. She will. I will be punished if I do not. Yes, I said hi to Brian for you. <laughs> oh well, well hi to her and colors unite. All right. <laughs> we'll all live in our glories. So, so uh, most of us are sober, it seems. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Bring yeah. it along, right. literally. <laughs> yeah. Or as, as close to sober, you know, sort of as, uh, as I think we get. Excellent. Um, but uh, but for, first and foremost, um, how are you doing up there, man? I mean, <laughs> I've been yeah. seeing, seeing stuff that's way too close to where you live. <laughs> Just be too exciting. Right. So... So yeah, let's talk about Portland. I mean, my friend Matthew Clark, right, put up on Instagram a map of Portland, uh, I think about four or five days ago. And then he put a little, literally like a pinprick dot where the Justice Center is and where all the protesting and the Gestapo firing on protesters is going on. And... We were talking earlier, you know, before before we started recording that, you know, that the nature of any camera lens is is you only see what you see. Right. I, you, yeah. you, I'm I'm looking at you. And if, if I were to extrapolate your whole world from this, I would be like, Brian owns a plant and that's <laughs> and 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 no furniture. Right. And looking at Kevin, it would be like Kevin has books 
and some action figures, and he liked Attack of the Clones. Um, <laughs> that's, you know what I mean? That, that, and that's the problem with the media wow. coverage right now. The media coverage is going, oh, this is where, this is, you know, this is Portland. It's like, it's not freaking Portland. It is the people of Portland protesting in one area. But this horseshit line that the administration is pushing, you know, that makes it seem like the whole city's on fire and buildings are being torn down. It's like, let's be honest. Let's, let's talk about what's going on here. They're upset that we spray painted the federal building a cap. You hmm. know, well, if cops weren't, we wouldn't spray paint it. And there's a little thing called a right to protest. And you yeah. may not like the protest. That's the nature of what protest is. You're not supposed to like it when you're the one being protested against. Um, so the escalation here is nothing but a political stunt. He, you know, Hissy Fittler sent more troops in today. They are trying to escalate, you know, and it's only a matter of time before somebody gets killed. Oh, yeah. I yeah. mean, and, and that's what they want. They want blood. You know, the problem and the thing that these morons have not figured out is like, guys, you aren't, if you wanted it to go away, you are getting the exact opposite result. Like, there had been 500 people maybe consistently showing up. You know, protests had cleared 50 days since, since the murder of George Floyd. Well, not, not feds start opening fire. Guess what? Next night, there's 1,000 people. Yeah. And they start opening a fire again. Next night, there's 2,000 people. I mean, you're not making the problem go away. All you're doing is highlighting that actually we're right. We are absolutely in the right here, and you guys are standing on the wrong side of history. And now let's talk about the fact that, guess what? It's actually illegal to grab somebody and drag them into your van and drive them around in the dark and then dump them out in a dark room and search them <laughs> without, without identifying yourself. Can't, this is abduction. They're not identifying themselves as cops or as troops. They're not identifying themselves in any way, shape, or form. So what that is is called kidnapping. And that's the sort of shit that goes on in Russia and Venezuela and China. And, you know, this was what Pinochet was known for. This, yeah. is, this, is, this is disappearing people. And right now we actually have, an, and you got to think about this. There's no way to determine if everybody who has been taken has been released. Wow. There's no way. There's, there's no way to know if somebody who was picked up, if everybody who's been picked up has been released. There is no way to verify it because there was no, oh, unless you saw somebody being picked up, unless you knew who that person was. Right. That's happening in Portland, Oregon, in the U.S. in 2020 in July. So, you know, anybody who wants to tell me the wheels haven't come off, anybody who wants to tell me uh, that this isn't that Trump isn't fascist, that he isn't totalitarian, that he is sane. Um, anybody who wants to make that argument to me, they need to shut the fuck up and sit down. It's over that there is no argument to be made anymore. 
The colors were there the whole time. We knew who the guy was six years ago. We knew who he was four years ago. And now we know, and everybody knows what happens when a bully is scared. When a bully is scared, a bully lashes out. And that's yeah, and all this he's, is. He's terrified. But he's doing, he's doing the thing that, uh, that he said he was going to do. And, and a, lot of, a lot of this kind of, it, it almost strikes me as, as like, um, you know, administration by Bizarro. Or like you said, it's like you're doing the exact thing that you should do to solicit a completely different, you know, response. You know, it's like, it's like, okay, there's a problem. If you solve the problem, it'll go away. Yeah. You know, and then if you double down on your poor solving of the problem, it's going to make the problem worse. Yeah, you're going to exacerbate it. Yeah. So, um, so it, it, it's just, it's just a really tough thing, but, um, well, but yeah, I was, uh, I was asking mainly because when, uh, when Atlanta burned, Atlanta burned the yeah. whole thing. Yes. <laughs> you know, so, so like, yes. uh, so we have, we have a different view of, uh, of city on fire. Yeah. And I say, you know, uh, you go out, you know, I take a walk every day. Um, you know, I, I had to run some errands today, you know, so, you know, I had to mask up. I had to go to New Seasons, as I was, I was saying. I had to do some shopping and so on. And 98% of the city is exactly what you would expect of a Pacific Northwest city uh, trying to negotiate a, a global pandemic and economic crash uh, of depression level, right? Ooh. People are trying to live their lives. Yeah, that's 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 the real game is is the fact that that I think if we had to go through one of these, it would be tough. <laughs> you yeah. know. But the fact that it's like, okay, we've got hurricanes, we've got pandemics, we've got racial unrest, we've got like an insane president, we've got all of these and and throughout history, they've had to deal with these things one at a time. <laughs> you know. Well, I mean, the, the, the perfect storm <clears throat> is a phrase we know because they do occur. And, yeah. you know, this just, this is the inevitable result. I mean, it really is the inevitable result. And I kind of feel like I should hasten to say that, you know, putting all of this on Hissy Fittler isn't, um, isn't entirely appropriate because, like I say, he's he's terrified and he's lashing out. And like all bullies, he's desperate to convince you that he's tough. But you know, there it, 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 it there are some people in that in that policy administration who are the real, genuine bad actors. They're the ones who are literally, they are absolutely trying to start something here, and you know they've got a perfect patsy to do it. So. You know, yeah. we're going to see um, how this all shakes out. But the thing is, you know, it's not just Portland now. It's Seattle. It's in Washington, D.C. We're talking about Chicago. Basically, if you're uh, blue, right? Yeah. Effectively, if you're, if you're blue, um, you're going to get uh, Trump's Gestapo coming to stop you from opening your mouth. And I'm not sure people realize, I mean, I really think people have not, the penny hasn't dropped on how serious this is. That oh, the, yeah. the, 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 the distance now between DHS Gestapo troops, and I, I mean, use that word specifically. Yeah. 
opening fire on protesters without warning. They don't say stand back. They don't say disperse. Yeah. And, and they, peaceful protesters. You got it. Mm -hmm. They kick open the door at 11 at night and they open fire. Um, the distance from that to and and driving around downtown in the dark and grabbing people off the street. Right. The, yeah. the, it is it is not a long walk. It's not even a walk. It's a step from there to them going house to house. Uh, it, it is. Yeah. It is nothing from where they are now to them knocking on my door and saying, you have said things about the president on podcasts. We want to talk to you and we want to know who else you've been talking to. Oh, yeah. And I, and I, do, I, I completely agree with you. And I think, I think something that's nearly impossible is to get a right back. Yeah. You know, once... Once you've voluntarily surrendered a right, I think it's, it's really difficult for someone to say, well, you know what? Here, let me toss that right back to you. And, and once, you've, once you've given someone a certain amount of power, the next guy doesn't say, well, I don't want this power. <laughs> you know, the next guy keeps it. And then the next guy keeps it. And even if the next guy is benevolent, yeah, you know, we don't know there. the guy after that. Oh, oh look, the, the, the repair work that's going to have to be done is going to require, frankly, I think, draconian steps. If you yeah. want to return anything that's going to return the Republic to something that is stable, there are certain companies and corporations that are going to have to be destroyed, a la AT&T. Yes. You're going to have to break them up. You're going to have to um dismiss roughly half of the judges that mcconnell has rammed down this country's throat Whew. you are going to need to look at the kavanaugh appointment and really determine if that goes but the other problem i mean look i the, you're talking to a writer right so like my my games theory on what does 2021 look like i had somebody asking me like you know would you write another queen and country I keep saying my problem. My problem with Queen and Country right now is that it's always based on what it's always based in fact. And CIA is, you know, a dumpster fire right now. I mean, yeah. our our intelligence capacity has been shot, mm -hmm. and so has SIS. So is the British. Um. So yeah, I'd love to do a spy story set in twenty twenty one about trying to rebuild, but yeah. we are. We are so fundamentally and absolutely compromised. It's not funny. And people, and they just don't get it. They don't, yeah. they don't either understand or care. Um, I really have to wonder, you know, like, we'll hear about, you know, the hack on the Democrats, you know, in 2016. What do they have on the Republicans? Yeah. Because yeah. they've got... <laughs> And, and somebody put a stat in front of me. I haven't verified it. I can believe it. I haven't verified it. It's something like um, before Trump, before Trump, something like uh, a member of the GOP was 30 times more likely to be indicted on corruption charges than a member of the Democratic Party. Whoa. Third, and that was before Trump, right? Um, now, if you are... Russian intelligence and you're well versed in the art of compromise. Um, oh yeah. You know, I mean, 
I there is and see and this is I have a friend uh, a guy named Gareth Zarka who does some research. Uh, I, I've been using him for a lot of research stuff, and he's a writer and he's a game designer. And he he said a couple days ago, he says the worst thing about this damn administration is that it makes me feel like I am sitting here with a tinfoil hat. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, and it is like, I mean, these guys walk into a pizzeria going, oh, my God, it's a child sex, you know, sex ring. And you're like, are you high? But yeah. we, I open the news and I'm like, so in the Epstein case, Epstein, quote unquote, committed suicide. The judge overseeing it has just been shot by, <laughs> yeah. by was murdered and the family was murdered by a guy who has connections to Russia through his mail order prostitute bride? Why am I like, I don't want, I don't believe in conspiracy theories. Yeah, but, but the thing about it is, is like, it's like when you apply Occam's razor, you have to apply it with a tinfoil hat. <laughs> yeah, well, in this case. <laughs> But I mean, I used to, I mean, I, and, and this is the, this is the other thing about it, right? This is why, like, I look at the Kennedy assassination, I go, there's no conspiracy there, guys, you know, because for a conspiracy on that scale to work, people have to not talk. And that yeah. also implies that everybody in government is an expert. And we know that's not true. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Right. I mean, we know, you know, it's a job like any other job. So you have people who are great at it and believe it and you have idiots and, and, and people who should under no circumstances be allowed to do this. Are you saying that and Betsy DeVos does not know the intricacies of the school system? <laughs> I, I am I am willing to go out on that particular limb. Yes, Sean. That's the thing is that these guys are so flipping dumb. And, and, and it's not that nobody knows what they're doing. It's that nobody either cares or is capable of the people who care seem to be incapable of stopping it. And the people who are capable of stopping it aren't either because they don't care or because they're under a thumb. Yeah. So, I think. And, and we've just eaten way too much time on this. Sorry. What were you going to say, Kevin? I didn't mean to write over you. We just didn't realize that the next season of house of cards was a reality show. Yeah. <laughs> I, I swear to God, man. Well, you played guys, You've all seen you've all seen the meme, you know, it's like, oh, this season, you know, they writers really lost the plot for this season of 2020. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, what the hell? They introduced murder bees and didn't do anything with them. You know, yeah, um, like this is like you know, sort of some shark jumping like season right here. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? Let's talk about it. Let's talk about something good from 2020. And that is the old guard film. Yay! <laughs> we made a movie. It didn't no. suck. Woo! <laughs> well, and um, and and I wanted to to ask you about that. About it not you know, sucking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, but the, and a lot of times, you know, quite frankly, these films are pulled from terrible comics. <laughs> you know, so, <laughs> so it's like. You, you well, start off with what you are you getting at, Mr. Selfridge? <laughs> but um, but I, I think uh, I think in 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 your case it was um it was first of all a great comic, but oh, I think another um factor is that you were involved in it. Yeah, and yeah. and usually usually the the comics creator is sort of 
an appendix. It's just some ancillary thing out there that they basically walk onto the set and go, see, shake these people's hands. Now mm-hmm. get the hell out of here. Mm-hmm. But, um, but you were like very involved because you're, you're bringing the soul of the project to the, uh, to the set. I mean, I certainly, and, and that's really nice of you to say. I, I certainly think that my involvement helped. It was an involvement that was, you know, it was there from the beginning. Part of the condition of the option when Skydance approached was I said I wanted to do the draft. And, and then I, you know, and then said, and you guys can fire me afterwards, but let me write it. You know, I, very different. That's yeah. really different for a comic book movie. Well, and, and a lot of that is because, you know, 20 odd years ago, there was a whole bunch of stuff optioned. And a lot of those creators said, I'm going to write it. And then they turned out they couldn't write a screenplay. Mm. And what Skydance didn't know, wah-ha-ha-ha, is that I had been practicing. Ah. Um, <laughs> and there was a reason I had not written the uh, screenplay for Whiteout for instance, but this was the one that I was ready to do. One of the things they were very clear about on the beginning was they knew what they were getting. They, they had read the whole thing. They were invested in that. That was the story they wanted. So it became a question of going, okay, how do you convert? How do you adapt the comic to a motion picture? And there are places where things are going to have to change. And, you know, and, and, Everybody I dealt with at Skydance was fantastic. They were incredibly engaging and 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 helpful and uh, enthusiastic. And I mean, really, it was a fantastic experience. And it was that that brought Gina onto it. And then working with Gina it was extraordinary because, mm. again, the other thing that happens is so fine. The production company is like, you can stay. And then they get a director, and normally what happens is the director comes in and says, I love your script. Um, I have a high school friend that I haven't talked to in 15 years, but I think he'd be great to rewrite this. You're fired and I'm going to call Tony. <laughs> and, and Gina would have had that, absolutely had that prerogative when she came on. She could have absolutely said, you know, I love this, but there are things that I think need to happen. And, and I could have been shunted off. And instead, you know, Gina came aboard literally came aboard with a copy of the trade in her hand. Wow. The, the first conversation I had with her was her going through the trade and saying, so I love this in the comic. Why wasn't this in the movie? And I love this. And why wasn't this in the script? And why isn't this in the script? So, Oh man. Yeah. So, I mean, when the director is that committed to quote unquote, the vision of the original work and to her, and she said, on more than one occasion, she wanted to preserve the heart and the soul of it. That was not a unique POV. That was that was from Skydance as well. And and it you know when I was on set, everybody everybody had a copy of the trade or had read it. I mean, Leo wow. and I were signing copies for everybody. Kiki, you know, gave us our copy. Um, so and that's that's really cool. Yeah, on, on, on most on most occasions, what what I find is that when you watch a comic book movie, especially a comic book drawn from an independent um, comic, what ends up happening is, okay, well, the names of the main characters are the same. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and the title of the story might be yes. the same. Yes. But other than that, it's just, you know, whatever, whatever happens, happens. Yeah. And, and 
for for an outside viewer, especially if I love the work, it's like, well, why didn't you just do the comic book? Yep. It's good, <laughs> you know. And uh, and to to watch this, it was just like it was really it was really kind of cool because I had to go back and look at the comic book because I thought they just did a they just took the comic book and made that the screenplay. You know? Yeah. In so, a lot of so places. And, and like I say, you know, you look at the kill, the killing room floor sequence, for instance, you know, Gina and, and, and uh, Tammy, who is the DP for, for that sequence. And that was a uh, great bit of storytelling, by the way. And they shot, you know, off of, they, they were looking at what Leo did and, and using that as their guide. And I can't think of a higher compliment you could get paid. Oh, I mean, yeah, yeah. Some of the things that I thought was really cool was that sequence in particular, whole, like in the comic book, they get shot and, you know, they, yeah. it's, 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 it's a Wolverine recovery. It's something yeah. that's pretty quick. But I think holding on that moment, mm-hmm. you know, um, where we, the viewer, just kind of goes, okay, they're dead. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, is this movie about you know, SEAL Team 7. (laughs) And now they're all ghosts! (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, so so I thought, like, the the change of holding on that moment for Mm -hmm. such a long time, and not only holding on that moment, but cutting away from the moment where you're like, they've been dead for a while! Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then you you catch back up to the the storyline. I thought that was really important. And especially when we find out later in the story that it's possible that they don't come back, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. So, so it was like it, it really added something that was even better than the comic book. So, so for that to happen, yeah, I don't, I don't like that is just awesome. I don't take any offense at that. I think the movie is better than the comic. I, I think that the movie is a um, is is a better story. I, I like to think that my stuff, regardless of how fantastic it is, is always going to be emotionally honest. Mm-hmm. But I, I feel that the honesty of the film is even greater than the honesty of the original work. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that it benefits from it. You know, it's rare as any. I mean, and, and you guys know this as as creators. It's very rare that you get that you get the opportunity to work on the same story twice. Sort of being able to have a second try yeah to and, prototype and, it <laughs> yeah and, and and be able to go like okay this is how do we make you know oh this this i shouldn't have done or this would like you say you know nile in the original comic is a perfectly wonderful character she doesn't have a lot of story mm-hmm. nile's story in the movie is cru- crucial to the movie oh, um yeah. Yeah. and 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 that makes it better right and i then take that to the next stuff that I'm going to write in the series, right? And ideally, uh, that is inflecting how I am writing Nile now, so that oh, so that man, it becomes that's, this that's really cool. Yeah, it becomes this sort of nice um, convection cycle, right? You know, if this is the water got sucked sucked up and rained down again, and you know now there's a new field, and uh, and I just lost that metaphor. Anyway, um, <laughs> yeah. Greg, I want to ask you about process for a second because I want to go back to Wolverine. Very briefly, <laughs> so very briefly. Okay. <laughs> but I, I remember when I was a kid reading and you didn't start out with anything intense. It was Wolverine in an abandoned apartment. Yep. Reading books. 
Yep. By Derek Robertson. And you went into how he smelled, what he ate, and what he read. Yeah. And I remember watching the movie. I've obviously read the comic, The Old Guard, and it had Andy describing her tastes. And it mm-hmm. also made me think of Kate Kane and her background. Mm-hmm. How much of these characters have you fleshed out that we will never see? That's a harder question than you might think to answer. And I suppose there are writers who would say, oh, I have, you know, 500 pages of their biography that I wrote beforehand. <laughs> and they, they, they may, they, 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 there may be. What invariably happens is, you know, if you're talking about Logan or you're talking about Kate or you're talking about Diana or you're talking about Andy, or you're t- the characters, it always sounds a little cliche. I spend a lot of time thinking about character. That is, that is how I write. That is where I write from. I almost invariably come to plot last. Um, I, I always start with character because to that's, me... That's very interesting. Well, it, to me, character, it, it, that's what drives it. And, and the example I always use is Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman all respond to a bank robbery. Each of them responds to that robbery in a very different way. That is character. You know, the way Superman addresses the problem is not the way Batman does. It's not the way Diana does. So what ends up happening is that at at, at a certain point, I will have gotten to know the character enough that I can answer questions. And sometimes it's a, Sometimes they're questions that I know the answers to intuitively. Sometimes they're questions that uh, I know the answer to through just extrapolative thought, right? If this was true and this was true, then perhaps this is true. Um, I knew, you know, for instance, when we talk about Batwoman, I knew that... Because the mandate on that character was new Batwoman, she's gay. <laughs> so it was like, okay, new Batwoman, she's gay. Well, there I, you go. The character's fully developed. <laughs> right. So then it was like, well, and 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 that one is an interesting one, right? Because J.H. and I had to do with the origin, and I was very careful. I, I did not want to do anything that was going to be easily undone. Um, I we we stress tested Kate, like mm. we we took her out into the desert and and we drove around and 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 figured out if we could get out of the sand trap and kick the tires and everything on it. We wanted to build an origin that was going to that that if you read it in thirty years, it would still work. Wow! And so the the result of that then was. Okay, well, where does she get the skill? What is the trauma, right? What is the trauma? Where does the skill set come from? And how do you get to wearing a bat on your chest? And for each of those things, we had very specific answers. And the answers also had to extrapolate to other things, right? You had to be able to go, the training justifies what she can do. The trauma needs to be a trauma that cannot be resolved. You cannot fix that trauma. This is why any Batman story where we name the person, any story that uses the name Joe Chill, I have no time for. 
Wow. Right? Because if Bruce Wayne knows who killed his parents, then it is not a random act of violence. Hmm. Right? It changes who he is. It would be the, the larger version of that is Krypton didn't explode, but Jor-El sent us Superman anyway. Right? You have to have this thing. What is the trauma? <laughs> the trauma is you can never go home. You're an alien and you wish you were human. That's your whole motive. So for Kate, it had to be, there was a reason that we never named the organization that was responsible for abducting her and her sister and her mom, right? Because you can't name it, right? It's so, it was a terrorist group. Call them whatever you want, right? That kind of evil, that kind of trauma needs to be an existential enough one that you cannot, quote unquote, make it all better. All right. Yeah. And and, and yeah. then the last thing with Kate was very specifically, and again, very deliberately, I didn't want another. I was sick and tired of people trying to get Batman's approval um, because Batman's a dick. Um, and, <laughs> and, and the second he knows you want his approval, he's never going to give it to you. So I, 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 I just I thought of, we you know, Robin, Nightwing, Batgirl, Damien you know, spoiler, all of these characters are what I call first-generation Batman. And Kate is first of the second generation. Even even Huntress is a first-generation Batman product, right, in, in current continuity. Kate is second-generation. She doesn't actually give a rat's ass about Batman. And stories where Batman is, where she's suddenly following his lead piss me off. It's not about him. She follows the symbol, not the guy. It's bigger than you, right? Wow. That's what she's responding to. She is responding to this signal in the night sky, not the guy who's wearing it. Hmm. That means something. You're just, you're just, that's just your job, right? That's wearing the flag when you go into war, right? But this is, that's the flag. You're, you you wear the uniform, but that's the that's the symbol. So, you know, when you're working like that, then then you find yourself you, you you have to ask some very pointed questions, and then the answers to those questions further define the character over and over again. And I had gone to the West Point thing earlier, and I did an extraordinary amount. I did more research for those twenty two pages of comic book than I have ever done for any other comic. I mean, with Whiteout, at least I did it all for, you know, a mini series. This was for a single issue was getting West Point right. And it was the moment I hit, you know, the cadet's oath, you know, a cadet shall not lie, cheat or steal or suffer others to do so. And I was like, oh, well, there you go, man. There she is in a nutshell. Yeah. I, uh, get... I lived in West Point for a while and you nailed it, man. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I went to school. Uh, I did my undergrad at Vassar, right? So I would, you know, I would take the train past gar- Garrison all the time. And Oh, man. <laughs> and, and I'd been out to the point a couple times and I had always been sort of smitten with the romance of it. Um, and also the absolute just truth truth in my bones knowledge that oh yeah i would never have survived here i just would have died i'm not (laughs) i was not nope i would not have been i would not have been 
But my dad, my dad came to me and said, you know, uh, he was a, a gunner sergeant at West Point. Uh, uh-huh. He taught in my 11th year. He said, uh, he said, you know, if you uh, keep your grades up, I can probably get you uh, into the point. <laughs> and, and, and you said, oops, what? I mean, <laughs> grades tank. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, not for me, dad. I mean, it, it, it's. It is a lifestyle choice, right? And yeah. but you know, and, and and as far as that goes, I'm I'm always compelled by characters who are drawn to uh, roles of service, be it emergency medicine, be it espionage, be it the military, be it uh, fictional policing. I encountered him. A friend of mine used the phrase "copaganda." Um, about a week or two ago. And I sort of had to look back at my work and be like, have I been romanticizing? And I think one of the things that, and I think this may be one of the reasons why Gotham Central works, is that it's sort of anti-romantic. Yeah. It, 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 it isn't, it isn't a great, I mean, look, man, the thesis of Gotham Central is it would suck so bad to be an honest cop in the city where Batman works. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's what the series is about. It's just like, oh, no, it chews you up and spits you out. You're just no good. Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's antithetical to that. It's, it's kind of like romance of being a cop is sort of the thing that I think the characters would love. <laughs> but <laughs> it's just not there at all. Well, well, and, you know, one of the things you encounter really early and, uh, you know, again, you, if you grew up around the military in the military, then you know this, which is. Yeah, it, I mean, there's a, a romanticism to it, and there's certainly issues. There are certainly issues of uh, of honor and duty and integrity. But at the end of the day, it's also the job. It is their yeah. job. It's what they do to make a living and earn a paycheck. And yeah. I, I, I encountered that early on. I, I met a lot of people who who have been in these various lines of work and. Yeah, they made it read. They stripped that romance right away. They were like, <laughs> yeah. And, 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 and honestly, for me, one of the things I responded to really early in, in drama, right? Because I, I, I met Bond early and I loved Bond and spy stuff and so on. And then I went, I literally went from Bond to Licare. Like oh, there was man. no, there was <laughs> oh, wow. no, there was no intervening step. So. Oh, wow. So it went from being, ooh, sexy and devices and all this stuff to, oh my God, it's unre- unrelentingly bleak and soul crushing. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I went into Le Carre looking for Bond. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, surprise. <laughs> yeah, it was just not there. But the bridging moment for me was The Sandbaggers. It was Ian McIntosh's series, The Sandbaggers, mm. uh, upon which all inspiration for Queen and Country lies, which is, this show late 80s late 70s early 80s done by yorkshire television and the very first episode you know one of the characters says you know if you're looking for james bond go to your library it was literally getting an entertainment that was saying it's not entertaining it's just a job right this is just the job they do and Oh my God, I fell in love with that. And I was like, what, 15, 16. So I, I never went back. That was, I, I, I sort of adopted that 
that that took deep, deep, deep spinal root, and I I put that lens on everything I could see. Oh man. <laughs>